G'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Winging It F1 podcast, Australian Grand Prix edition. Hooray! Um, I'm Freddie. I'm not Australian, although you probably were fooled there. Um, and I'm here with Nigel and Adam to talk through what was a very good Australian Grand Prix. Um, we had to get up early for it. Adam didn't because he's in America. Um, so he stayed up and did Saturday night racing, which is very cool, which um, we're, he's going to probably wax lyrical about because he sent us a Snapchat about it. Um, but yeah, it was a good race. Charles Leclerc won. Sergio Perez came second. George Russell third. Max Verstappen, Carlos Sainz didn't finish. Lots of little storylines throughout the field. And we're going to try and go into, you know, some nice little detail with it in our enthusiastic and happy style. So, yeah, um, Nigel, you're doing good. You enjoyed the race. You're feeling happy and enthusiastic. Not quite as enthusiastic as usually. I don't think anyone in the world right now is, to be honest. But yeah, it, it was a good race. <laughs> uh, probably not quite as good as the first two races. We didn't have that lead battle. But there was definitely loads of talking points, as usual. Loads to talk about over the, over the next 45 minutes or so. And Mr Adam Dickinson, what about you? Yeah, I think Saturday night racing is great. I think it should be a thing more often. It was fantastic. Watched it at a bar. Quite an imp- nah, I don't know. It was good. Um no sound. That was the biggest drawback, and they didn't uh-huh. put the subtitles on. So you know, I was I was guessing. Well, and it was ESPN commentary, but it didn't oh, make that's a guy anyway. There was no commentary. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was good. It was the the Australian Grand Prix kind of the last few editions. Maybe it's just my memory of it. Certainly, 2019's race wasn't very good. There's like six overtakes or something. Um, so. You know, I think for, for it to come back with maybe not a bang, but a, a solid boom, um, I think was Party very popular. good. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, not one of the like big, you know, kind of foot long ones, just kind of the small ones. But yeah, I thought it was a party popper. A modest party popper. Mm, for, for the Australian Grand Prix. Yeah, I think I remember saying um, at the start of the 2021 season on our podcast that because of the track changes and everything that was coming into uh, Albert Park but it was one that I was actually really probably most excited for whereas continuously it was, it was always had the sort of the draw of being the first race of the season but to be so excited for Melbourne when it's not the first race of the season I thought was really good and I really really did enjoy the whole weekend and I even got up at 4am and watched a practice session and actually really enjoyed the practice session so madness um, but anyway we're not here to talk about sleep schedules we're here to talk about Charles Leclerc and his winning schedule, which was just hit it to the post and just do it. And on. he did. He looked unbeatable today. I just He didn't put a foot wrong. Nigel, what did you make of that performance? It was a near-perfect performance yet again from the club. I mean, in the first two races, Bahrain and Saudi, he didn't do much wrong at all. He could easily have had three wins right now as well. Ferrari got the setup right in Saudi. But yet again, amazing qualifying, great start controlled it. I even think he had pace in hand as well, which is quite scary for everyone else, thinking that Leclerc could have gone even faster. Uh, so, just outstanding. And if he's in this kind of form, it's hard to see how he can be beaten, really. Mm. No, I completely agree. He he was just flawless. He looked unchallenged. It was one of those races where you don't see the leader on TV that much because he there wasn't any action to involve him with. There was really one one point at one say I think the second safety car restart where um Verstappen looked like he might be able to challenge him and couldn't and beyond that he led every lap first grand slam of his career it was just you know I think that says it all it was 
be flawless from Leclerc over the whole weekend. Yeah, I think flawless is the word. He's now got 71 points in the championship uh, after three races. He's pretty much short, what, five or six points, seven points short of full marks for the for the championship so far. Yep. So that's phenomenal. That's just from his second place in Jeddah. And he's got 34 points back to second place in the championship, George Russell. And on top of that, 46 points back to Max Verstappen, who's supposed to be the championship rival. Max Verstappen didn't get to the end of the race. He had a, a fuel pump issue, um, which meant that on about lap 42, he had to pull over at the side, uh, turn, turn, turn two, mid-turn two. And the race for him was over there. It's his second retirement in three races. He's, the only points he's got this year are from his win in Jeddah. Um, but it didn't look like anyway when he was running that he could hold a candle to Leclerc. He was at best, really, falling off by a few tenths a lap every lap. Nigel, what did you make of uh, Max's performance? And where do you think Red Bull are? Do you think they're still in the fight? Do you think Leclerc can be beaten by Verstappen? Well, I can't have too many more of these problems, quite frankly, because if they keep DNF in, then they'll just fall far too far behind. Mm. Uh, Verstappen himself, even when he was running... It never looked like he was going to threaten Leclerc all 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 weekend, really. Uh, so, in, especially in the final set to the final few corners, the Red Bull just looked really twitchy. And I think Verstappen said even after qualifying that he had that he hadn't had a lap uh, where, where where he felt confident in the car. Mm. And that's quite a big statement to, to yeah. say. So, it doesn't look great for Verstappen. It looks like the Red Bull is a bit more of a it's a bit more fragile than the Ferrari as well. So those two aspects are going to give them a lot of headaches going into the next races and definitely be part of many more DNF. Uh, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think it's Red Bull are kind of the closest challengers to Ferrari at the moment, but they're not challenging them. It, it's that kind of thing. They're just, hmm. yeah, he, he was kind of, he was just half a step behind all weekend really. And yeah, it you know it's they won won one race and that was good and I think kind of that was a deserved winner you know I think they kind of um, they had what it took to win it wasn't a fluke but beyond that there's just so many question marks about particularly the engine and it's you know it it's kind of for the for the potential for a competitive season or competitive title fight it's not kind of not looking ideal so far I think it's fair to say. Yeah, the Red Bull team are third in the constructors behind Mercedes, who we'll get onto later, and a fair bit behind Ferrari, being led by Charles Leclerc. Uh, the actual lead point scorer for Red Bull now is Sergio Perez, who's got 30 points in comparison to Verstappen's 25. Um, and Perez came home second. He's been doing a very good job, really. I think over the first few races, he's stepped up in the way he had to. And yeah, he took the second place which was really kind of destined for him. Adam, did you think Checo did the job today? Do you think there was more he could do or less he could do? No, I think he kind of, <laughs> he made the most of it. He made the most of kind of what he could do. I think maybe it was a bit more laboured than he could have liked. He spent more laps fighting the Mercedes than he would have liked. And um, I think kind of the uh, safety car, the second safety car saved him a bit from having a kind of even more protracted fight with Hamilton. So, yeah, it's yeah. I think he was. Um, it it wasn't kind of a 
flawless run to second. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, he wasn't going to beat Leclerc and he did beat the rest of the field. So that was what he needed to do. And he did. Yeah, I think what's key for Perez was he was he was very close to Verstappen yet again, which we've seen in the first two races. So that trend has continued. It look, does look like that these 2022 cars suited him a bit more than last year, or, or perhaps Verstappen is still yet to get on top of the car, perhaps. Uh, so Perez looking good. Second place was the best he can do. So he couldn't ask for more in terms of the, the result. The performance, I think, Red Bull, didn't have enough to challenge Ferrari, so yeah, I think Perez will be pretty happy with his with his uh, Australia weekend. Yeah, he's made that step up for 2022 that he needed to do. Credit where it's due for for Sergio there and to Red Bull as well for helping him with that step up because they've obviously had such an issue with their second driver for the past couple of seasons. And last year, Perez probably would have been in the position where he would have let a slower car slip through to a higher position. Whereas this year, it looks very much like that's not going to be the case. And I'm impressed with that. I think that's very good. Um, the car, which probably could have slipped through, that was slower to a higher position than Jekko, um, was George Russell, who finished third on the road. Um, he ended up in, in you know, the podium fight after safety car pit stops and everything launched him ahead of uh, Perez and Hamilton, who were pitted beforehand. But Perez was able to then fight back past him. Um, Adam, do you think George did a good job? Do you think, you know, his first proper podium, because we don't count Spa on this podcast. Um, good, 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 good. No, I, I, I have attempted to wipe Spa 2021 <laughs> from my memory entirely because it was a wasted morning. No, I think, <laughs> I think um, Russell, again, he, you know, he kind of made the most of, you know, he got in a fortunate position. He kind of, he ended up ahead of Hamilton because he was slower than Hamilton and got the, um, like less preferred strategy, which meant he, pit, he pitted later than he pitted in the safety car, so he was ahead. So you know it worked out well for him in the end, and from then on he did he did pretty well. Um, you know, again, like third, first podium of his career is kind of you know not to be sniffed at, and I think he Hampton maybe could have done with him being in the fight with Perez a bit more um, early on, but at the same time, I don't think it would have made a difference at the end because the Mercedes were just you know, that step behind the, the Red Bull. So, yeah, I think a good weekend from George says, like, still things to improve on, but um, to be in this position and to be getting your first podium and have things to improve on isn't a bad position to be in at all. So, yeah, pretty good from George. Well, maybe he wasn't involved in that fight with Perez and Alton because he knew he was going to go longer anyway because that's what the second Mercedes yeah. driver does for them. He was saving his tyres a bit more, which is why he was closer to the McLaren. Mm. And ultimately, he benefited from that. So maybe that's the reason. Uh, and then he did make the most of the, the chance he got. Uh, and then I was I was really happy to see that he tried to fight Perez as much as possible, as much as possible, even though his engineer told him to save his tyres and not mm. fight too much. So mm. I think he helped Perez off for probably one or two more laps than than than, than some people thought. Uh, so that was great. Great to see. Uh, Hamilton probably had a slight edge overall on pace, but Russell can't complain too much. I think the first three races, he's nearly maximised every single race. So, uh, yeah, great job from Russell. He's settling in nicely uh, and it's all going quite well for him. Yeah, he's doing very well. Um, that new seat really, you know, is suiting him very nicely. Um, but the Mercedes 
gap on the podium was the way for that was cleared by not just Max Verstappen's failure, but, but also by a fairly disastrous weekend for Carlos Sainz, the, the smooth operator, as he's known. He's so calm and collected. But I think today was the first time I've kind of seen him angry, driving angry and stressed in the race. And there just seems to be a whole amalgamation of issues throughout that sort of stemmed in Q3 that just didn't help him at all and meant that he became the first ENF of the race after he spun out on on lap two completely of his own making. So, Adam, what did you make of Carlos Sainz's, um, well, pretty awful weekend? Yeah, I think it was pretty awful. It was kind <laughs> it of... It was from, a loaded question, that. Yeah, from from top... Well, you know, he wasn't he wasn't kind of bad in, throughout, you know, the practice and going into qualifying. I think he was second in Q2 behind Perez. So it was all shaping up quite well. And then... Things just went wrong in Q3. He got, um, you know, really disadvantaged by the red flag and then had car issues, starts motor issues. And that was um, kind of put pay to his um, Q3 effort. And he was ninth. And then he didn't, you know, had a pretty, pretty poor start and fell back and then was out on the second lap. So it kind of, it went downhill very quickly, really, from start of Q3 onwards. So, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, I think just a weekend to forget for the Spaniards and not, you know, it's not, these aren't like long-term issues, I don't think. It's just, mm. you know, a pretty, a weekend where a lot of bad luck and then him, I guess, not dealing with the bad luck in the best possible way, um, just kind of combined and that, you know, F1's, F1's marginal and, you know, even in a Ferrari, then it doesn't take too much to, you know, be down the back of the pack pretty quickly. Yeah, it was def- definitely wasn't Sainz's finest performance, but I think a lot of the blame has to go on Sainz's side of the garage as well because the red flag, that was just misfortune because of Nando Alonso's crash and he was literally one and a half seconds away from crossing the line and he would have been yeah. probably third or fourth and then had he done that, he could have gone for it on his final attempt. But then on his actual final attempt on Saturday, he had the uh, melted problems and that. Then he started ninth, and then his steering, uh, he had a steering rack issue. So then they had to change the steering wheel, which I think changed the settings of the start and stuff like that, which is why I went into anti store and then lost places. So all of that, you can't, you know, fully say that it was his fault. You know, you can maybe say that he should have adapted, adapted to the conditions and stuff like that. But those things shouldn't be happening, especially for a team like Ferrari, who are going to challenge for the title this year. I think the only big, big, big mistake that he made was that uh, around the outside of Mick Schumacher at turn at turn nine, which was just a desperate move. Really, he was just he wanted to recover the, the places from lap two onwards, so he went for it, but he just carried far too much speed, misjudged it. He was lucky not to collect anyone as well as he came back across the track, and then yeah, he beached it. So he had an early afternoon. Uh, but I'd, yeah, I'd say it's a 50-50 split between Sainz himself with his driving and Sainz's side of the garage for not getting those issues sorted. Sainz is still third in the standings based on his um, performance in the first two races. There is a bit of a gaggle from second to sixth, really, where you've got George Russell in second, Sainz in third, Perez in fourth, Hamilton in fifth and Verstappen in sixth. And they're all in a 
in a gaggle of about 12 points with Verstappen at the bottom on 25, Russell at the top of that group on 37. But then there's such a gap to Leclerc and there's such a sort of long way to go. But gaps that big have been turned around before and in the 25 points for a win era. So um, do you guys, what do you guys sort of make of that kind of situation? Do you think they're all going to be taking points off each other and let Leclerc run away? Or do you think there's going to come to a point where it becomes, I don't know, the ideal six-way fight for the championship? Um, I kind of, to me, I don't think it matters who, um, what we've seen so far, I don't think it matters, you know, whether they take points off each other or not. I think kind of fundamentally Leclerc's just faster and, the, the Ferrari or the Ferrari Leclerc package, I should say, is faster. And, you know, it's <clears throat> a, <clears throat> sorry, Red, Red Bull need to get reliable fast and Mercedes need to get fast reliably. <laughs> and that's, that's, you know, that's what needs to happen. It, I don't think it matters whether, um, you know, there is one kind of leader getting second or, you know, being the close challenger to Leclerc every weekend because I think what he's what Ferrari seen have shown so far is that they can see off every challenger and yeah it's kind of the biggest problem just seems to be the engine their engine is so much better it's so much faster than the Mercedes and it's so much more reliable than the Red Bull so and there's an engine freeze going on so you know I don't understand how kind of they're gonna try and um, rectify that for both of those teams but yeah it kind of it's not just teams bringing developments and that's that it's you know it's kind of the nature of the developments is going to be hard to just get on a kind of level playing field with Ferrari to begin with you know around they'll need to have a better car just to be on par with the whole package with the engine yeah and also the Ferrari is working well in all types of conditions all types of circuits as well and Leclerc is able to able to gel with it quite nicely whereas Verstappen with the Red Bull and Sainz have still got no problems. Uh, they're all struggling quite a bit. So, and, and by the time they get, it's, it's, it's a question of when are they going to get on top of their issues. The question of development, uh, you know, in five or six races, it could be Mercedes that have fastest car, for example. We just don't know because yeah. over the next six weeks, there's only three races. We've got these big two-week gaps. So the teams can bring lots of innovation and upgrades and stuff like that, which could completely change the pecking order. But if Leclerc does manage to win two of these next three races, then I think he has to be, well, he's probably got a finger on the trophy. So if, if, if by Spain if he's got a, a lead of above 60, 70 points, then, then, then yeah, he's, wow. I have to say, pretty much there with it. So that's where it is, really. And if he's driving like this as well, then he's looking quite unstoppable uh, because Verstappen, he was so impressive last year. This is in, in his first title challenging season. This is Leclerc's first title challenging season and he's doing even better. He, he's been pretty much perfect. and He's just so full of confidence and he doesn't look at everything he's doing. He's, he's, he's doing it perfectly. So he's looking untouchable, un, untouchable almost. So mm. it's going to be difficult for the others to catch up and make up ground. Uh, but as of now, I still I still kind of back Verstappen to come, to, to come back into it. And I'm still definitely backing Mercedes to sort out the issues. But come Spain, which is towards the end, end of May, I think, uh, that's when me, I'll say, right, 
has Leclerc got it or, or, or a deal was in it. Yeah. For me, I think the crucial part with it is that the, the Ferrari is so plugging in play everywhere we've been to, whereas we've noticed chinks in the armour of Red Bull in Australia. Um, and we've noticed such massive swings in performance for cars with much with different concepts. Of course, they've all got different concepts, but Haas were brilliant in Jeddah and Bahrain and were nowhere in Melbourne. And then McLaren were atrocious in Bahrain, but had an absolute revival of a weekend in Melbourne. So with double points and Norris on the second row. So you look at it from that perspective and you kind of think, I don't know, is there a chink in the armour yet to emerge for Ferrari? Or are they just in such a sort of peach spot with that car that it can sort of just glide easily through the the quagmire of challenges that are going to emerge for all the other teams? I don't know. We don't know. We've got probably an entire, really another different track coming up in Imola. All the tracks are different. There's no really convention you can kind of point to with these tracks. So it's, it's really interesting from that regard. Yeah, definitely. I'd say the one, the most conventional track so far is probably Bahrain. I I'd think say one so. tour in Bahrain is what the pecking order is right now, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's, yeah, I think we're always, every, every race, you know, it has a different thing. And I guess we've not, not seen them, you know, saying the wet yet, or we've not, seen kind of these different variables come through but it's just kind of based off everything we've seen so far it's looking a bit uncompetitive and it, I think the biggest challenger to Leclerc maybe Carlos Sainz yeah. there's, there's not many more tracks on the calendar which are like Jeddah and, and the new Melbourne circuit which are no. just full of high speed and cars only have yes. one or two slow speed the tracks coming up in Spain Monaco they've all got a lot more medium and the slow speed corners that again should help Ferrari in theory because Red Bull and Mercedes, well, Red Bull uh, struggled a bit there. Mercedes might come back into it actually. Uh, so, yeah, I think Ferrari has to be favourites for the next two or three races. Yeah, we, we're going to have to wait and see. But I think um, we'll, if we had to talk about sort of the McLaren perspective, yeah, they're a high speed car. So if you put them on Monaco, they'd be way off. And that's probably the, the sort of pattern yeah. that's emerging here that you've got something like an Alfa Romeo, which seems to be pretty decent everywhere, something like an Alfa Tauri as well. But then Haas and McLaren sort of seem to be polar opposites. We're just going to be sort of switching places throughout the year. Is that a sort of working hypothesis that we're going to sort of um, I don't know, send off to be marked? No, I, th- I think you're right. I mean, we've seen this in previous seasons with different philosophies and different mm. strengths and weaknesses. And that's what we're finding out now with these new cars. It was a clean slate. You know, Red Bull have got the fastest speed, for example, was in previous years they had the slowest. Ferrari yeah. the best in the slow corners in previous years. They had the best engine and weren't that good in the corners. So we're seeing these these new trends and just like the midfield, you know, Alpine looked very strong over one lap, but then the race pace isn't quite there. And then uh you got McLaren, like you say, with the slow speed corners being a massive weakness for them, which is why they've done well the last two races, which has been full of high speed tracks. And this is mm. just gonna continue to chop and change, which is great for us, I think, because we don't exactly know what the pecking order is going to be like each weekend. We can guess, of course, but it's all gonna come down to track layout, conditions, and then ultimately executing it and not making any yeah. mistakes. 
it's pretty horrific if you're trying to plan an upgrade um yeah <laughs> series do, do you just go for what's good or do you try and become a bit more a bit more uh versatile across the season but you know mm. we don't have to make those decisions so that's fine um we do have to talk about a particular driver who this podcast has a history with um the 2020 season was a hard one for alex Albert, and it was also a hard one for nigel chu because oh, our very own... great one for me because <laughs> i was fantastic right. one for nigel chu <laughs> <laughs> I was right, and I, I, drew, I drew you as well, Freddie. I got you onto my side in the end. <laughs> I was consi- consistently seeing you blue in the face every weekend, going, I can't believe what's going on. I can't believe what I'm seeing. This is the worst thing in the world. You're going full Roy Keane on Alex Albon. But Alex today- Albon's the worst F1 driver we've had around in F1 in ever. <laughs> He's just he's just awful. I don't get how he ever got a seat in F1, and the fact that he's in Rebel, it's a disgrace. It's a bloody disgrace. Well, now, Williams driver Alex Albon has had one of the best races of his career, would you say? Yeah. 20th yeah. points. Very good. Points in the Williams in race three. Good. Yeah. Yay. And, and how he did it. He went 56 laps on the starting <laughs> tyre and then pitted on the last lap and somehow stayed in the points. Like, even yeah. now, I don't understand how he did it. Like, it's it's mad. It's a mad strategy. It's a mad way to have a good race. Yeah, he did it. Williams seemed to out-strategize Haas and um, Alpine, who were running the long, the long, hard tyre strategy. And Magnussen and Alonso, who were those two other cars, just grained their way into depression of the back. And Albon just didn't. And he put on a soft tyre for one lap and managed to come out ahead of, of Joe Guan Yu just miraculously. And held the position. So he didn't. They didn't that. just out strategize two of the teams. They out strategized like physics, the space time continuum. <laughs> like I don't understand. I just do not. They out strategized F one. It's, it's just mad. Yeah. I, I, I want to see that. Pit it, like, I, I think to kind of explain it is uh, the hard tire just didn't degrade at all. It sort of just carried on going. And Williams's pace uh, or, or or Albon, he just. It was ex- exceptional. It was just like a straight line. It just didn't lose any pace. And then what really helped was Stroll defending like a madman, <laughs> yeah. mad, weaving, getting a five-second time penalty. That held up the Gasly, Bottas, Jules. That held them back. They, they did get by in the end, but lost loads of time stuck behind Stroll. So then that kind of opened up the gap and Albon got his 20 seconds. That's how he emerged alongside Jules. Kind of blocked him at the apex and then... Mm managed to hold on down to turn three. So he's got Stroll to bank uh, as Albon. But, you know, to, to get 58 laps out of those tyres is still a fantastic effort. So you've got to, get, got to give him massive credit. Yeah, Williams have got a lot to thank Lance Stroll for this weekend. Um, and a lot <laughs> not to thank him for. So arguably it's worked out quite well in the end. Um, I think the, uh, and Albon, he had a good Q, uh, qualifying session as well. He was um, a tenth sorry, a hundredth and a bit off uh, making it into Q3, uh, so Q2, and um, but then got put to the back because of a fuel sample issue and he had a grip penalty anyway. Um, but yeah, it was it, it was a pretty good weekend all round. It wasn't just some mad strategy. He was competitive yeah. for the whole thing. Yeah, and and yeah. for Williams, Latifi has been pretty poor so far. Albon himself was pretty average before this weekend. So this is a massive positive for them. Hopefully it can give the team 
a big boost because they probably wouldn't have expected this. So this is a massive result for them. Uh, and hopefully it's the first of at least a few points this year. Latifi's yeah. been awful. He's had yeah. what, three um, incidents now, two, three issues. And it's just, you know, he like coming from last season where, or the last two seasons where he's been up against Russell, it's like, ah, well, he's up against Russell. And then this felt like the season where there was an opportunity for him to like develop yeah. and step forward in the minds of the casual F1 fan. And he has just not shown anything so far. It's been really, we can't go into it too much, but he needs to yeah. improve. He could have built on a very, what was a very good 2021 season. And in the, the, the early signs are that he hasn't and that he's been put to shade a bit by, by Alvin. Um, but yeah, we, we're going to touch on another back market team now um, who are Aston Martin as well, who um, you think have also built on a fairly decent 2021, but haven't. They're the only pointless team. I, I would not have thought that Aston Martin would have been 10th in the constructors come race the end of race three. But here we are. Pretty dire weekend for Sebastian Vettel to return to the team. Um, that's just I'm just going to give you a quick kind of timeline of events. So... Sebastian Vettel's car broke down in FP1. He then drove a scooter back on track and got a fine for it. Um, they couldn't get that car out for FP2, I'm pretty sure. So Lance Stroll just did the dog donkey work for FP2. Um, FP3, uh, Vettel hit the wall. Stroll also hit the wall, didn't he? I'm pretty sure. Um, no, he didn't. Stroll broke down. Um, and so... Both Aston Martins out in that session. Then going to qualifying, they nearly didn't get both cars out, but they got Lance Stroll's car out. They weren't going to get Vettel's car out, but then Lance crashed into Latifi, which meant they were able to get Vettel's car out, but then he wasn't able to get into Q2. And then in the race, um, Vettel crashed, and Stroll, like Nigel said, was being a, a bit banzai with his driving. Not great. <laughs> We've got to talk about that incident from Paul Farmer with Latifi Stroll. I mean, that was... And his interview afterwards, he clearly didn't... You know, he didn't, he didn't blame Latifi. He was like just saying, oh, the trap moves left a bit. I mean, it was just... He was off the racing so line. He went off the racing line. It was just so, so silly. He, I mean, he said he looked in the mirror as well, so surely he saw him coming. I just don't know what he was thinking. There was room to his left, there was room to his right. He just had to stay straight. As long as he didn't turn his wheel, there would have been no contact. So for me, it's absolutely 100% Stroll's fault. You cannot blame Latifi at all for that. And I know he just went in through and stuff. But... And that's the only thing is that, I mean, on a devil's advocate perspective, I agree it's Stroll's fault. But then it's just kind of like, um, if you're Latifi, you just kind of think, oh, you just let him by. Okay, we'll just sit there for a bit and see if he lets you through rather than just speeding up one of the most narrow parts of the track. But also, Lance just sort of, I don't know, it, it was like he was being told to just turn into him. <laughs> it was like he just, someone just said, turn the car right. And he went, OK, turn the car right. And yeah. hit Latifi. It was a bit bonkers. And, you know, we were talking about Carlos Science putting this weekend behind him. I think hopefully this is the worst part of the ev- everything ever for the Aston Martin F1 team. Yeah, it's, it's the worst, like, period in their recent history that I can think of. It's, you know, really going back to kind of probably 20, 2018, 2017, 2017, where they were kind of really uncompetitive. That's like... No, they were uh, crashing into each other a lot, but they were fourth in the constructors. Um, 20, I I like this for a long time. 2018, a long time. where they went into administration, wasn't great. 
But for performance, I think you've got to take it back to 2008 or something. So Even then, at Monaco, they were like running behind Kimi Raikkonen or something, and Raikkonen uh, crashed into Sotil for like <coughs> six places. Well, yeah, yeah anyway, exactly. Anyway. Even then, they would have had potential. So it, it was just, I'm going to say, unacceptable and embarrassing from them. For an F1 team to perform like they did, with the accidents, the incidents, the fines, just. It could hardly be any worse. Uh, if they have another weekend like, like that, they can forget it. It was it was awful. It really was so, so poor. Aston Martin are the new Alex Alban. Um, <laughs> if they carry on like this, like this they will be. Yeah. I, I, they're a team that has been around, around a bit. They've obviously been there since 1991 as Jordan. So it's a team, you know, that doesn't know. It's not like they don't know how to do F1 they're not no hopers they're not rookies so hopefully you know hopefully they can you know just come to Imola and just be in a better frame of mind put it all behind them and just think a bit more I mean apparently they've got a B-spec car in development that looks completely different I don't know all this kind of stuff just gets said so don't you know take it with the classic pinch of Lawrence Stroll salt but um, I mean I'd I've been super super critical, but they all know deep down themselves that what they did was not acceptable, really. So they they'll know they, they will they'll know deep down. So I'm not angry. Uh, it's just I'm disappointed. No, I, 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 Martin's going to sit in my office and I'm going to tell them off. <laughs> oh, I think you're right to be critical because what else can you, you be? You know, the after after the <laughs> season yeah. that they've had to be tent, like you can't. There's pretty much no positives to have. Hulkenberg did well for a substitute driver. That's yeah. about it. Like there is, there's no positives really from it and you can't, you know, they'll, oh, they'll nice. be the same. And if they're not being, if they're not being critical, then they shouldn't be an F1 team because they're not going to, yeah. you know, if they're oh, not yeah. critical of this position, then, you know, they're never going to move forward. Oh, completely. That's exactly right. Um, That's totally bad. Okay, come on. Let's hope they bounce back. Let's be optimistic about Aston Martin. They are a team who have done well. And, yeah. you know, you don't forget how to be an F1 team overnight, but yeah. you can make silly mistakes over the course of three days. So, they were really um, racist 18 months ago. Yes, they were. Um, so, who knows whether they'll be in 18 months. Uh, a week is a long time in Formula One, um, as it is also in time um, hours yeah but anyway we have a week until our next podcast episode so we're going to use that as a segue to wrap this one up and invite you to the next episode that will be such an event of talking about whatever's happened in the week aston martin pulling out of f1 alex Alvin getting knighted we don't know what's going to happen but maybe if you come back to the winging f1 podcast on your chosen platform of choice be that Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Stitcher, using the ACAST web player, our podcast provider, or just watching our pretty faces on YouTube. By all means, keep doing everything you do if it involves giving us clicks and appreciation, because that's what we're here for. Um, the appreciation, not the clicks, to make that clear. Yeah. Don't <laughs> click on Nigel. Um, we appreciate your clicks. <laughs> yeah. So thanks very much for listening, watching, whatever you did. And see you soon. Hope you enjoyed the Australian Grand Prix and this episode. And our podcast. Yeah. Bye.
Goodbye.